Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Learn to think differently. Learn to live differently. Be changed. Be renewed. Be transformed. Once again, welcome. We're so glad you guys are with us today. This is what I would call the most wonderful time of the year. Anybody else love fall? Can I see your hands? Some people are wanting to applaud, like that's a holy thing. You guys are into it. Here's the deal. When I get to heaven, this is what I want. I just want 365 days a year fall. When you look outside and you see the snow-capped mountains and the gorgeous trees and it's still green grass underneath your feet, I like that. When I wake up in the morning, I put a jacket on, and by afternoon, I'm changing into shorts. I like that. That's, that's like my season. It's what fuels me. I'm so glad you guys are here today. We are uh, getting close to wrapping up this series called Transformed. And what we've done over the last six weeks now, we've got one more week to go. We are looking at seven key areas of our life where we're lining up with God's purposes. And so we looked at very first week, we looked at our spiritual health what it meant to, to align with God and develop that relationship with him. We looked at our physical health. We looked at mental health. That was fun. Some of you guys are mental. We know that. We looked at emotional health. Some of you ladies are emotional. Guys, too. You're not out of the picture on that one. But we looked at emotional health and what it means to line up with God's purposes for our emotions. Last week, we looked at relational health. And in the next two weeks, we're going to look at money and work. And this week specifically, we're, gonna, we're going to look very closely at uh, what it is to be financially healthy. What does the Bible say about our finances? And it may surprise you that Jesus actually talked more about money than he did about heaven or hell. In fact, half of the stories that Jesus told had to do with money. When you look through the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses is about money or money management. And so in a culture today when a lot of people look at a, uh, or not even look, they scowl at a pastor when he starts preaching about money, if we were to model Jesus, one out of every six of my sermons would be on money. Um, but this is the first time that we've talked about it, but I don't have a problem talking about finances. I, I share with a lot of people as a pastor, I believe that it's, it's our call because there's one thing that the Bible identifies as our biggest competition in our allegiance with the Lord, and it's money. Jesus said it's not really a money issue, it's a treasure issue. Where your treasure is, your heart's going to be. And so it's a big deal. If there is one place in this world where you should talk about money, it's actually in the church. The problem is that people think, oh, the church is trying to get my money. Listen, my message today is not about tithing and it's not about giving, it's about financial stewardship. It's about health. It's about how do you manage your money according to God's word. And so there's some really healthy principles that we're going to talk about today. 
Um, but as we do that, in order to do it, we're going to look at possibly the most misunderstood story of Jesus in all of the Bible. It's in Luke chapter 16. You're going to see that in your notes today. Uh, we also put it on the screen because every week I start giving longer and longer scripture verses for them to include in your notes. And if you notice, the font just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So you're going to see that up on the screen today and we can follow along with it. But this parable, this story that Jesus tells is often referred to as the parable of the dishonest or shrewd manager. And it's a confusing passage in part because it appears that Jesus is approving dishonesty, but he's not. Please, let's, let's establish that right now. He's just using this clever crook as the teacher of this story. And so I'm going to read for you Luke chapter 16, and then we're going to dive into it. It begins in verse 1. It says, Jesus said, there once was a rich man who enlisted a manager, a manager to take care of his property. But the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. So the owner called him in and said, you must now give me an account of your stewardship and report what you've done with what I entrusted to you because your time as a manager is ending. The manager thought, what am I going to do now? I'm losing my job, but I'm not strong enough to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. I know what I'll do, so that after I lose my job, I'll have plenty of friends to take care of me. So he called in everybody who was in debt to his master. He asked the first man, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of oil, he replied. The manager said, okay, tear up that bill and write a new bill that says you only owe 400 gallons. Next, the manager found another debtor and asked, how much do you owe? 1,000 bushels of wheat, he replied. The manager said, okay, change your bill to say you only owe 800. So he's doing all of this under the table, obviously, without permission. It says, now when the master heard what the dishonest manager had done, he still praised his shrewdness. For worldly people are more shrewd in handling their affairs than are those who belong to the light. Now, this is a strange story. Just when you think that the story is setting this whole thing up to where the owner is going to come in and he is just going to clean house and he is going to remove and he's going to condemn this dishonest manager, it says he still praised him for his shrewdness. So there's some, there's some principles here that Jesus is trying to communicate, and we want to talk about those. And in the next several verses, Jesus starts to get into the meaning of it. These are some familiar passages that you've possibly heard. He said in verse 9 that we're to use our worldly wealth to gain friends for ourselves. We're going to come look at this passage in just a few moments here. He said, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. So that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And then he says this well-known passage. No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He doesn't say you should not. He says you can't. It's impossible to serve God and money. Now, this might be one of the most frustrating and, and misunderstood stories that Jesus ever told. It's important to note a couple of things here first. Jesus is not praising this guy's dishonesty. 
That's important. He is praising his shrewdness. We're going to come back to that in just a bit. Secondly, you don't have to agree with everything that somebody does to learn from them. We obviously don't want to learn dishonesty from this man, but there's something that Jesus is trying to teach us in this story, and that's what we want to get to. There's a couple of principles here that we should certainly apply to our own lives. The bottom line is that Jesus has something to say about our finances. He has something to communicate to us. And so what I want you to know today is that my message is not about tithing or giving, as I said. It's a message about how to manage your money well and how to think about money the way that God does. And so let's come back to this. Jesus doesn't praise the guy's dishonesty, but he does praise his shrewdness. Now, to be shrewd is actually, uh, it it sounds negative, but it's actually a, a comment. It's somebody who's very sharp, very intentional, very strategic, very resourceful. When you're shrewd, you see a problem um, very clearly, and you know exactly what needs to be done, and you can cut right to it. You figure out how to do it. And what God wants us to learn is how to be biblically shrewd with our, with our finances, and that's what we're going to talk about today. From this story, there's some things we're going to learn. Now, before we learn what to do with our finances, let's talk about what not to do with them. Because these are some principles that are almost no-brainers, but we need to set this foundation, okay? The very first thing is don't waste it. Don't waste your money. Uh, duh, right? Everybody's saying, like, that's a no-brainer. I'm, I'm here taking notes for that. That's what you got. Don't waste it. The Bible says don't waste the money that God allows you to have. In this very first uh, verse, verse 2 of this story, the manager was accused of wasting his master's possessions. Don't waste it. The first thing. The second thing, don't love it. Don't love your money. This is what Jesus says in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other, but you cannot serve both God and money. It is impossible to live with a divided allegiance. You can't have two number ones in your life. You can't have two things that you're committed to at the same level. You can't say, my number one goal is to make lots of money and my number one goal is to love God. At some point in your life, you're going to have to decide what's going to be number one. You cannot serve them both. Number three, don't trust it. Doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how much money you get, you can't put your security in your finances. And the manager learned that very quickly. Verse three, he was out of a job. And a lot of us in this room have been in that position before. You lost the job, you found yourself unemployed, and all of a sudden, the security of the paycheck was gone. Well, here's the news. You can't put your security in those things. Some of you guys, you're going to need to realize this. You're not always going to be as good-looking as you are today. You can't put your security in your looks. You can't put your security in your health because you could lose your health can't put your security in a loved one. You could lose your loved one. You can't put your security in your money because you can lose it. Don't put your security in it. Proverbs 23, 5 says this. I like this verse. Your money can be gone in a flash as if it had grown wings and flown away like an eagle. Some of you guys, you deal with that every single month. 
Money will disappear. There's all kinds of things that your money goes towards, and it can just be gone. So don't love it. Don't waste it. Don't trust in it. Fourth thing God says is don't expect it to satisfy. If you think that having more money is going to make you more happy or it's going to make you more important, you are fiercely deceived because it won't satisfy you. The more you have, the more you want, Scripture says. Ecclesiastics 5.10 says this, Whoever loves money will never have enough. And whoever loves wealth will never be satisfied with it. I think, I'm, i got to pause here for a second. My mouth is watering because I smell that chili. Anybody else struggling with that in the room? You're going to have to deal with that today. Um, and then I want to be first in line for the chili. I love you guys, but seriously. Um, so, so let me get back into my focus here, into my notes. I want to take the rest of our time today to look at this story. There's four things we need to remember about money. Okay? We talked about four things not to do with money. These are four things that we do need to remember about money. It's important in order for us to be healthy and holy in our finances. In our finances, Here's four things. Every day I need to remember it belongs to God. It's the first thing. It all belongs to God. In fact, Psalm says that everything and all the earth belongs to him. He created it. It belongs to him. You belong to God. The mountains we were talking about, they belong to God. The stars up above, they belong to God. The beautiful trees with the leaves, everything, it all belongs to God. What that means is that we really don't own anything. What we think we own is actually on a loan from God. He loaned it to somebody else before you were here. He's going to loan it to somebody else after you go. But right now, he's trusted it with you. Use it while you're alive, but it all belongs to God. In the story, this owner has all the property. There's a difference between the owner and the manager. The first verse, it says that the owner had a servant who managed his property. And God has put some things in your life under your management. But it's all on loan. And God is seeing what you're going to do with it. And that's what we're talking about today. Now, here's the second truth. Um, these are all important, but you're going to notice that these build as we go. Number two, money is a tool. Money is a tool. See, money isn't good or bad. It's not right or wrong. It's just a tool. You can use it to build great churches. You could also use it to finance drugs. Money is a tool. It's something that we're to use. In fact, in this passage we read, verse 9, Luke chapter 16, verse 9, Jesus says, I tell you, use your worldly wealth. I want to leave that, that passage up on the screen for a little bit here, if you guys will put it up there. Luke chapter 16, verse 9. I tell you, use your worldly wealth. Let's stop right here. We're going to come back to the rest of the passage. But this is important. The Bible says you're to love people and use money. The problem is most people get that reversed. They love money and they use people to get more of it. Money is a tool. We're supposed to use it. So the question is, how do we use it for God's purposes? That's what we're trying to discover. We're not supposed to stockpile it. We're not supposed to worship it. We're supposed to use it. In fact, I heard somebody say that money is a lot like manure. If you spread it out, it causes things to grow. If you pile it up, it starts to stink. That's not what it's for. It's not something we're to stockpile. So the goal is, how do we use the temporary resources that God's given us for just a season, how do we use those to make 
permanent good? How do we use that to make a, a real difference? How do I use my money for God's purposes? And we're going to talk about that. But first, what I want to do is I want to look at this dishonest manager. This is where like the, the conflict is in the story. What is Jesus talking about here? Why did Jesus make this guy out to be the hero of the story? He certainly didn't like his dishonesty. We know that. But if you'll remember, this guy is about to get fired. The owner says, your time is coming to an end. So the manager brings in all these people. The first guy, he says, let's reduce your debt 50%. This is just between you and me. We're not going to tell the, the owner. The second guy he brings in, let's reduce your debt 20%. Just between you and me again. Obviously, he's dishonest. But he did something right that Jesus was commending. And that's what we want to explore a little bit today. In fact, you'll find in this passage... There's three things he did right. These are not in your notes, but I would encourage you to write these down. The first thing that he did is he looked ahead. Verse 3, he says, what am I going to do now? He's, he's looking ahead. He's thinking about the future. And here's our reality. Most people in our country do not think about the future when it comes to their finances. They're just living for today. We live in a culture that doesn't want you to think about the future. It wants, to think, it wants you to think about right now. Buy it now. Even if you don't have the money, that's not the issue. Buy it now. You can put it on credit. And we don't want to talk about that because that's later. That's future. Buy it now. That's the culture that we live in today. The struggle that we have is that there's very few people who think about the future. They don't have savings. This guy, was, he was looking ahead. Do you know the average savings in Europe is about 12%. People save 12% of their income for, for savings. In Japan, it's 25%. In America last year, it was negative 1%. We spent more than we made. We saved zero. Negative 1%. Guys, that's not smart. That's not good. Proverbs 14.8 says, The wise man looks ahead, but the fool won't face the facts. Time just continues to tick. You can't stop it. You can't even slow it down. You've got to start planning. You've got to look ahead. So here's the second thing is he made a plan. The next verse said, I know what I'm going to do. He made a plan. Now, the plan is what we have the issue with because that was his dishonesty. But here's my question to you. Do you have a plan for your finances? Do you have a budget? If you don't have a budget, you don't have a plan. A budget is simply telling your money where it's going to go instead of trying to figure out where it went at the end of the month. You've got to have a plan. We're going to talk about that specifically in small groups this week. You don't want to miss that part, but you have got to have a plan. <clears throat> Proverbs 16.9 tells us we should make plans and count on God to direct us in them. We've got to make some plans. See, most people don't have a plan for the future. They're just, just kind of drifting through life. The scripture tells us that is not wise. So here's the third thing he did. He acted quickly. We live in a world that procrastinates. You put off things, even important things. See, that's, that's the folly of humanity is that we think that we're going to have unlimited opportunities and unlimited days to do things and to get them done. This guy, this dishonest manager, gets commended because he didn't procrastinate. He set his plan in motion right away. And there's a lot of people who say, Someday, I'm going to get my finances in order. 
Someday, I'm going to start saving for retirement. Listen, today needs to be that day. Don't procrastinate. Luke 16, verse 4, we read this. The dishonest manager said, I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So this is the thing that Jesus is commending. It's not his dishonesty. It's his attitude. I'm going to think ahead. I'm going to make a plan, and I'm not going to procrastinate. I'm actually going to invest in these relationships so that when I'm out of work, they're going to take me into their home. So Jesus is saying, this is what that manager did right. There's something he did right there. So let's come back to this. How are we to use our money? Because it's a tool. And that leads us to this this third truth now. And this one is really countercultural in the world that we live. Number three, it is best used for eternity. Our money is best used for eternity. Now, here's our challenge. We use, a money, we use money for a lot of things. We use it to pay our bills. We use it uh, to enjoy leisure activities. We use it to enjoy entertainment. We use it for a lot of different things. And certainly, that's part of why God entrusted you with these finances. He wanted to provide for you. He wanted to do things. He wanted, he wanted you to enjoy life as well. There's no condemnation on that. But the highest use of our money is to use it for eternity. It's to use it to get people into the kingdom of heaven. See, that's part of the disconnect that we have in our society today is that we use our stuff to build our kingdom and we forget about God's kingdom. We use the gifts that God put us inside each one of Every one of you guys are gifted. You're skilled. God's the one who put it there. And he did it for a lot of reasons. One thing, he wanted you to use those skills so that you could get a good job, so that you could get a good paycheck, so that you could pay your bills and enjoy life. But the highest use of your skills is actually in God's kingdom. Not the highest percentage. It's not like you have to use 90% of your skills for the kingdom, but God says the highest use of those. It's the same with your your money. God's not saying you gotta give 90% of your money into the kingdom, but he is saying the highest use of the money that I've given you, pay your bills, enjoy life, the highest purpose for this is actually to use it for my kingdom. It's for eternity's sake. You look at the verse 9, Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, we, we, we started this verse a little bit ago. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself. So he's talking about building relationships. You can't buy friends. That's not what he's talking about here. Okay? Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, when the wealth's gone and when this life is gone, they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. He's talking about heaven here. He's talking about eternity. So here is one of the biggest principles that our world misses. A lot of the reasons why people will misunderstand the passage. Jesus, just like this dishonest guy made friends that he could count on later, he's saying you need to use some of your money to make eternal friendships, people that you will see later. He's not saying, that again, that you can buy your way into heaven or you can buy friends. That's not it. What he's saying is you're to use your money to build relationships that will go on for eternity. So he's using this teaching opportunity. This guy used his money to build relationships right here that are going to produce fruit. He's saying use your money that are going to build relationships in eternity. It's going to produce eternal 
fruit. You could say that you're to use your affluence for godly influence. That's the purpose of it. When you use your money to help other people meet Jesus, you make friends for eternity and you'll gain eternal rewards. And so really the picture is this, that one day when your life here is done, because we weren't meant to live here forever, there's gonna be a day when you stand at the gates of heaven and Jesus is saying on that day, there should be people who are welcoming you into your eternal dwelling. They're the ones who are saying, we've been waiting for you. Because of the way you spent your money, I'm here today. Because you weren't trying to build up your kingdom, you were building God's kingdom. And because of the money that you gave, I was reached for Christ. That's why I'm here. I'm here to welcome you into your eternal dwelling. See, guys, the reason why when pastors preach and everybody's quiet on finances is because we know that feeling inside the sense of building our own kingdom. And there's, a, there's an attraction, there's a draw to it. That's why Jesus talked about it so much. That was why he said you can't serve both. We like really nice houses. We build up that kingdom. We like, we like new cars. We like big bank accounts. We like to build our kingdom and we forget. At the end of this game of Monopoly, when we have accumulated all of our, our properties and our money, all the pieces go back in the box when the game is over. You take none of it with you. There's a reason that God gave us these funds, these resources. It's so that though we can't take the money with us, we can't take the properties and the cars and the bank accounts, we can use it for eternity. We can invest it in people, and those are going to be the ones who are going to welcome us into our eternal dwellings. So let me, let me ask you this. We'll move on to our, our fourth point here. Are you using any of your money for that kind of thing? Is anybody going to be in heaven because of the way that you used your finances? Use what God has entrusted you for eternity. It's the highest use of your finances. And it leads us to this very last principle, and that is this. One day, I'll give an account for it. One day, I'm going to give an account to God for how I used my money. There's going to be an audit on my life, and God is going to look at me. And, and this, isn't, this isn't the judgment. This isn't, are you going to make it into heaven or not? Jesus paid that price. That question is settled when I accept Christ. But there's going to be a day when all of us, Scripture says, are going to stand before him, and he's going to say, I entrusted you with these gifts, these talents. I entrusted you with this time. I entrusted you with these, this money. How did you use it? How did you use it? That's why the church needs to teach on it. Because one day, we're going to answer to the Lord for it. And he's not going to be there with a ruler slapping our hands and condemning us. But he's saying, what did, what did you do with what I gave you? God has entrusted us with certain assets as a manager. But just like verse 2 says, says, you must now give an account for your stewardship and report what you've done with what I've entrusted you because your time as a manager has ended. And listen, guys, our time as a manager on earth is going to end. And we'll stand before the Lord and he's going to say, now, well, I'm so glad you're here. 
What did you do with the stuff that I gave you? How did you use it? How did you use it? So as we close today, I want to do just a real quick kind of personal evaluation. Don't answer the questions out loud, okay? Don't raise your hand. These are your questions. But I want you to ask yourself these questions. First, does God really have first place in your life? Or does something else have first place? Maybe your money. Secondly, can God trust me with what he's allowed me to have? Do I manage my money well? And lastly, how much am I investing in eternity? Which kingdom am I building? That's the question that Jesus posed. That's why he talked about money so much. That's why he said, where your treasure is, your heart's going to be also. And this morning, as we, as we prepare to close, there's a lot of things that vie for our hearts. But this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to just make that decision and say, God, you've got my heart. It's yours. Maybe you've never made that decision before. Today's a perfect day. Don't procrastinate. Don't kick that can down the road further, saying that one day you'll get to it. Let today be that day. Maybe, maybe you prayed that prayer a number of years ago. And here's what we know happens in our life, don't we? Our priorities change. It's called priority creep. (laughs) Priorities begin to creep up that list and things that were never meant to be number one become number one. And today I want to give you an opportunity just to reestablish. Maybe it's been a long time and you've just found yourself in a place where you, you say, God, I need you to be number one again. Like my heart's got to be lined up with you. If you guys would bow your heads, close your eyes. We're just going to take a moment here and pray. If that's you today and you're just ready to say, God, uh, you've got my heart, (laughs) then I want you to pray just that. Pray this. Say, Jesus, I want to give you my heart today. I want you to be number one, top priority. I don't want to wrestle between you and money. I don't want to wrestle between you and anything else. I want you to be number one. And so, God, I ask that you'd forgive me of my sins and you would become Lord of my life from this day forward. Amen. Amen. Listen, most important thing, we say this every single week because we take an opportunity, we pause every single week for it. Most important thing in your life is that you line up with God, that your heart is is with him, that he's the Lord of your life. And if you prayed that prayer today, well done, okay? That's more important than the chili that we're going to enjoy. It's more important than the Broncos game that we're going to watch. It's more important than all those things. Where your heart is. And if you prayed that prayer today, here's what I'd like to ask you to do. Drew mentioned just a few minutes ago, we're going to have some prayer teams up here. And they're going to be here just to pray for the needs of of the whole congregation, the whole church today. Um, Before you leave today, if you prayed that prayer, here's what I'd like to ask you to do. On the back of your connection card that you received in your bulletin today is a box that says yes. You said yes to Jesus. I'd like to ask you to take that box, just check it and put your name on there. And drop it off with our elders who are going to be up here at the end of the service today. And we'd love to begin to pray for you right, in, right away. We're not going to keep you. If you're wanting to run and eat some chili, listen, like I said, I'm in front, okay? That's, that's, I'm, going to, I'm going to run there as quick as I can. I'm, I'm just kidding. But here's the deal. You may, you may need to leave. We're not going to try and keep you here. 
we just want to be a real church family. And we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. In fact, let's take a moment and congratulate those folks who made that prayer today. <clears throat> all right, as always, I used all my time. Let's pray as we close, okay? Lord, uh, we don't want to waste our money. We don't want to love it. We don't want to trust in it. And we don't want to expect it to satisfy us, Lord, because we know that that's a position that only you can fill in our lives. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd help us learn how to manage our money well, keep our allegiance with you, Lord, love people, and use money that you've given us to build eternity. God, teach us, encourage us in that. It's in your name we pray, and all God's people said, amen.